0: So we are starting a new sermon series called Faceless, where we look at the calling um, on your lives through the eyes of uh, John the Baptist. And so we have a special guest speaker tonight, um, he is a pastor of Redemption Alhambra. He's been in ministry for a long time. He's an author. Um, he has such a youthful spirit and a heart for Christ, and he is fun. His laughter is contagious, and he's spunky. And I love listening to Aaron. I love listening to Aaron because he reminds me of Sunday mornings from my childhood. So if we could give it up for Aaron Daly. That's that was the best introduction I've ever had in my life. I've been introduced in a lot of places and never been called spunky in my life. So thank you for that. <laughs> spunky. Um... I don't, know, I don't even know where to go from there. Um, so, amen. We're dismissed for the night. I'm spunky, and I don't know what to say after that. Um, yeah, just as uh, I love Redemption Church. This is my community, my family. I'm so thankful to be a part of it. And uh, it's a unique reality that we get to be a part of such a special thing. Corey, thanks for inviting me to to speak tonight. I'll tell you a couple things that didn't mention uh, besides being spunky, I really do love Jesus a ton. Anybody else love Jesus? All right, so I'm in a good spot. Just wanted to put it out there. You know, if you didn't give an amen to that, I don't know what's going to get better than that. Uh, but I, I also uh, have been married now in August for 25 years to this amazing woman right here. 25 years. I'm, I got five children. My oldest is 21. My youngest is 11. And, uh, then there's like every two years in there. And just so you, you can't tell this by looking at me cause I, I look like a really young man, but I'm about to have my first grandchild in, um, July of this year. So these, uh, this is, uh, I feel like I'm going to kill it as a grandpa. So I feel really good about that. Um, you know, I think I did okay as a dad, but I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to kill it as a grandpa, for sure. And so I love my church. I love uh, what God is doing. Uh, and, and so it's really uh, exciting to be here with you guys tonight and to, to experience worship with you. Uh, Corey asked me to open up a series called Faceless, and the theme of it is owning your call. And so when he gave this to me, he, he gave a really good, detailed, like, Outline of he I basically could have just preached his notes, but um I didn't. I went a totally different direction. I I uh, I figured I, I'm not gonna let some young punk tell me what to preach, you know what I'm saying? Uh no, he, he did a great job. And so I'm gonna I'm gonna mention some of it, but when he sent it to me, uh it took me on kind of a flashback. And the reason why I want to be able to kind of come at it from this angle is because it's extremely personal to me. Uh, First, it would be this. He put this in kind of the email that he sent to me, is that one of the most common themes that he hears from young adults is a struggle about how they think about their calling. There's lots of questions pastorally on what is my calling, and how do I know if it's God in my life telling me personally what to do? How should I think about giving myself to my calling when I'm struggling with what it is? And how does John the Baptist and his life teach us to embrace our calling? I will say this, that when I read that part of it from Corey, um, I did have a bit of a flashback. And so I need to tell you some of my story to kind of catch you up on why it would be uh, so personal for me. I grew up in the church. Anybody in here grew up in the church? Anybody? Okay. You know, flannel graphs was a thing back in my day. I don't know if you guys ever had that. I grew up in the church. My parents pastored and planted churches throughout the Middle East, Kuwait, the Philippines, India, all kinds of stuff. I, 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 I was literally born and raised in the church. I mean, I could have been born actually in the sanctuary. I'm not sure, because I don't remember a time in my life where I was not a part of that. And what happened was, is being raised in Western Christianity, there is a culture about that, particularly in the years that I came up, that um, put a big struggle on uh, a lot of a lot of young people's lives from my generation. Matter of fact, the stats show that if somebody grew up in church, the likelihood of them staying connected to the church is lower than if they just came in later. That actually, the amount of people growing up in the church that walk away from the church and God entirely is staggering. And here's the reason why. Because, I'll say it in a nice way, being a part of Western Christianity is a bit of a grind, and it feels like a game, to be honest. And the game, if, if we really get candid about it, the game is silly, and everybody else knows it except for us, because we're playing the game, and it feels really serious to us. And so I'll give you why it feels flashbacky for me is because uh, growing up in the church, I was taught to just be a good boy and to follow kind of the moral uh, standards in which that was. And early on, I learned young to be self-righteous. I learned really young how to look at how I was better than everybody else. I was trying to earn favor from God. I was trying to get his blessings and a huge part of being in the game is everyone is hunting for their calling. Everyone is chasing and hunting their calling and they're blinded by their own pride. I had heard the gospel preached, the good news of the gospel. I have heard it preached. But for me, the way I heard it was that in order to really know Jesus, it felt more like I could never live up, I could never be enough, I wasn't good enough, I wasn't smart enough, and God, no one liked me. And inside of that, what it bred in me was trying to climb a ladder to get closer to God. And in that, there's a performance based religious experience that causes many young people to burn out. It leaves so many of us completely burnt out because we feel like I'm young. I can play the game, and it's actually a curse that you can. And here is what happened to me. Actually, the reason why, uh, you know, I came tonight is to make a little extra money. I'm selling my books in the back, okay? Uh, this, the name of this book is called Creating Me, and here's, here's how we'll do it. We'll put back there as a Venmo. If you can't afford it, just take it. Um, but you know, they're $15 online. If you can only give half or whatever, just pay, you can scan it there, give it, just take one. It's on the honor system. If you'll read it, I want to make sure money's not an obstacle for you to get it. If you want to buy all of them and just bless everybody, you know, the money will go into my pocket. Okay. So thank you for your donations. Um, 29 years old, I planted, had started the church. My wife and I, I had learned to preach, grew up since I was really young preaching. I traveled around singing in gospel music. I was in all kinds of choirs and at all kinds of, like, uh, you know, spaces in which I knew how to play the game. 29 years old, I found myself in a space where I thought I had climbed higher than everybody else and I should be at this place of success and I realized the higher I climbed, the farther I got away from God. And in that place, I found myself telling my wife, I'm done, this is a game. That was the biggest moment of my life and I found myself praying Psalms 51, create in me. I read this text so many times, but all of a sudden, have you ever read something, but then one time you read it and you actually hear it? Have you ever been there? Where you heard it, but you heard it. And all of a sudden, I felt like I was singing in the choir with David, create in me, and I realized that the same God who created the world is the one that David is saying created me. He's borrowing creation narrative by saying, if you could create the world, you could break into my darkness and recreate me. But also what I realized is, what many of us think about creation is we still believe creation was created with a big bang. It's evolution, right? The idea that it was just some big bang and many of us think that creation was a big bang and we also believe our recreation is just a big bang. That all of a sudden God comes in and bang, we're at Shalom. The reality is it took six days before Shalom, before seven, before the day of rest. Six days of intentional process of creating. And so God sent me on a 15 year journey of writing meditations around seeing each person's life and how God who created the world in seven days is still creating in us. And I realized that the biggest game that I played was pursuing my purpose and calling it godly. And I realized that I cannot know my purpose unless I first know the creator and his purpose. I can't. And so what you see in the creation process is a totally different narrative than in the fall. Here's what happens in the fall. In the fall, men and women were created in, do you know what they were created in? The image and what? The image and... Likeness of who? Created in his image and likeness. And there they are in perfection. They don't even know they're naked. They're in shalom. The environment is perfect. They're walking with God day in and day out. And what happens? The enemy comes in and says this God doesn't want you to be like him. That's why he's telling you not to eat of this fruit. They were created in his likeness, but they were reaching to be like him. And here's what I realized in that moment. Many of us who have been a part of the church are reaching for things that we already have. We already are loved, but we're reaching to be loved. We already are accepted, but we're reaching for acceptance. We already are who God says we are. We're already forgiven, but we are trying to earn our forgiveness. We are already covered, but we're trying to find fig leaves to cover us. Many of us are trying to reach for things that we already have. So tonight, as we talk about are calling, I'm hoping that tonight I'm not here to give you better tools to hunt for something you already have. It's already yours. It's already in you. It's already been placed inside of you when he wove you together. And the reality is that when we continue to play this silly game, we are entering into original sin patterns that the enemy will try to convince you that you have to try to earn something that is a gift. The Corinthian church played this game. Now, if you ever want to study a wild church, study the Corinthian church. I mean, that, was, that place was buck, for real. The amount of crazy stuff that they were doing is insane. You read their insanity and the amount of sexual immorality and the amount of pride and arrogance and gossip and slander. That church was wild. Sounds like many of our churches that we go to. That church was wild, but they all played a silly game. Here's the silly game they played. They all looked at their spiritual gifts and thought that I'll go up in front of people and show people how gifted I am. So they got up in the front of everybody like, look how good I know God. I was sleeping last night and I had a dream and a vision and they're just like, look at that. And everybody's Wow. They're really gifted. Then somebody else is like, they're gifted, but let me show them how gifted I am. And they get up on stage and they start speaking in tongues and people are like, oh, weird. But God must really be blabbing in their ear. And somebody else gets up and goes, let me pray, and then just praise heaven down, and people are getting goosebumps, and and they're they're playing a silly game, and Paul calls them out on it. All of you, this wild church who cannot have show any fruits of self-control has settled for playing a game. Let's play a game. Who's the most spiritual? And who knows God the best? The reality of the silliness of that game is only meant to say the Corinthian church is not the only wild church that keeps playing that game. Because I think many of us, if we were honest, keep trying to play the same silly game. It's less about us finding our calling, and it's more about us showing how spiritual we are. It's less about us serving God with all of our hearts, and it's more about us having our platform. And we can sanctify it, and we can gloss over it, and we can do all kinds of things. But if we really let the Spirit dig into our hearts, we are better at playing silly games than we are being a part of God's kingdom. No amens with me tonight. It's okay. I love all of you. You're staring at me. Hopefully, it's because you're thinking. Here is the reality of the silliness of this game. That if we keep playing this game, it actually leaves us discouraged, distant from God, and delusional. Let me explain it this way. The difference between striving for something and just receiving something is the difference between trying to jump and touch the ceiling and just standing on the floor. I mean, we could have a competition on who could touch the ceiling, and some will get closer, and some would be like, I don't get how high he jumps, and none of us, maybe, I mean, that's pretty high, maybe up there. None of us, I think, could reach the ceiling, but some of us could get closer, and all of us would go, wow, the closest one wins. It's a silly game of who could jump the highest, but when you really see the way the kingdom of God works, While we're trying to touch the ceiling, God has always been on the floor. If you ever see the kingdom of God, it's like a woman who's on the ground searching for a lost coin. It's like a man who's walking through a field and stumbles over a treasure and he didn't even realize that the kingdom of God was buried on the floor. While everybody's looking up, God's been on the floor. It's like the Tower of Babel. It's like the Tower of Babel, where they tried to build up their own own edifice and try to see if they could become their own great kingdom. And while they're trying to climb up and build their way up to the heavens, Scripture says that God's down on the floor looking at what they're doing and confuses their language. Has it ever been interesting to you that when Jesus tries to talk to the people about the kingdom of God, he uses a lot of organic language and not a lot of towers being built. It's like a seed that's planted in dirt that takes root and dies underground and it's watered. And over time, these things start to grow up. One of my favorite theologians, Dr. Rivera says this, isn't it interesting that while everyone's climbing up to be like God, they're passing him as he came down to be man. That in our silly games to get up to God, we actually passed him and totally missed him. The beauty of the gospel is not you worked your way up. Because the wages of sin is death. We have all fallen, what is that? I don't care how higher you get than me. You're still falling short. I don't care if you can jump higher. I don't care if you can scream louder. I don't care if you can prophesy better. I don't care if you can preach louder. I don't care. God doesn't care. If you don't have love, you don't have anything. While you're trying to climb your way up and get to the top and play this silly game of king of the hill, God is in the dirt with the poor and the needy and the broken. So work your way to the top. Grind, hunt, search. You won't find them. Because you're going the wrong direction. You're hunting in the wrong places. Isn't it amazing that most of our testimonies is when we got tired of the game, we fell to the ground in complete brokenness and emptiness. And God was there. Where was he? On the floor. When you get out of the hunt and you stop searching, Here's the crazy thing about the kingdom. You find it. You find it. If you lose yourself, you actually find yourself. That the beauty of the gospel is that not that we live for God. It's that we live from God. This is hard for us to even grasp because we as young people just like, man, I'm living for you, God. All glory for you, God. A little tap for me, but the rest for you, God. All glory, all glory for you. I'm doing this for you, God. And so many people use this language as I'm living for God to sanctify their disobedience to God. And if you are not careful, you will keep saying you're doing things for God. Uh, let me give you a different example because y'all are staring at me weird tonight. And in my neighborhood, something else goes down when you give me them eyes like that. You know what I'm saying? Let me give you another example. Uh, some of you all study celebrities like crazy. I mean you have your favorite celebrities, maybe they're sports players. I love athletes. I know things about athletes that is not is not healthy, okay? Like stats and I listen to sports radio and my wife makes fun of me all the time, and, and, then, and then I make fun of her because she watches way too many like old timey, Downton Abbey kind of, what, I don't know, what are they, people dressed up in stuff that I've, I'm like, man, this is a weird show, right? But I, then she's like, yeah, but you listen to sports. like We memorize lines from movies, we follow athletes, we follow celebrities, and people who get really obsessed with them think they know them because they've studied all the stats. Do you realize if you go up to one of them and you're like, yo, and you start rattling off all the stats, you may know things about that athlete they don't even know about themselves. You probably know things about that athlete their spouse doesn't even know about. You may be saying lines from a movie to an actor or an actress that they've totally forgotten, but you've memorized them. Because so many of us take knowledge of someone based upon their stats and their lines and who they are as a celebrity, but the reality is that's how many of us deal with our relationship with God. We study scripture to know facts about him, and all the time we could quote things, and he goes... Depart from me. I don't even know you. Yeah, but I've done things in your name. Who are you? Those celebrities and those athletes and all of those people that think, they don't know you. I don't don't want to burst your bubble. And they don't even care about you. You think about them all the time and that is a sense of knowledge that we have about somebody that God is not calling us into. This reality of knowledge of God or for God is a silly game. When it gets to the end, it's not what do I know about God, it is God knows me. You're my child. Guarantee you. Children don't know all those facts of lines and stats, but they call him dad. The access that we have to God is because not that we live for him, it's that God by his spirit has got inside of us and we live from him. Here's what I mean. If we start thinking in organic ways, God is not the ceiling we jump from. It's the soil our lives are planted in. Which means everything grows up from him. And everything is nourished by him. And everything is formed by him. And if we understand who we are in Christ and that Christ is in us, then we will stop playing silly games because Finding your calling looks more like abiding than it does working. Here's what I mean by that. Have you ever wondered why it says the works of the flesh are this and the fruits of the what? Spirit "Spirit are this. Which means when you work and grind and try and hustle and do all this stuff to find it, you will produce evil. Evil. But when you abide in Christ, and His Spirit abides in you, fruit just comes out. Here's something about being a branch. You realize, oh, where did that come from? I mean, that, that's really cool. And just, oh, love, joy, peace, patience, just popping out all over the place. Where did that come from? that all of the things that come from God out of us are a bit of a surprise and a mystery because I've worked all of my life to see these things come out. And I will say this, that when you learn to rest and when you learn to abide and you stop playing the game, you'll get farther in discovery of your calling, than if you're hunting. It's funny. I uh, one of my friends sitting in the front row. I won't mention Sarah's name. Uh, she told me. Uh, she told me that the worst thing you can say to a woman is relax. That's the worst thing you can say. Did you tell me that? She did tell me that. The worst thing you can say to a woman is relax. And when she told me that, I'm like, actually that's the worst thing you can say to a man also. Tell me to relax when I'm getting amped up, and I'll be, I will, I mean, but maybe it's just universal. The worst thing you can say to somebody is just chill out a little bit. And so I'm doing the worst thing ever. I'm standing in this pulpit to a bunch of people who are concerned about their calling, and the first thing I wanna tell you is, Chill out. Relax. Rest. Because that's the good news of the gospel. You're exhausted. You're discouraged. You feel separated. You feel like you're doing something wrong. Breathe. Isn't it amazing that on the sixth day, God created man after he did all the work of creation. And what did he do on the seventh day? That's good. Someone read their Bible. One person out of all y'all knew that he rested. Not trying to condemn you, but it's a little discouraging standing up here. Seventh day he rested. That means the first thing man did with God was rest before they worked. Which means their rest was the platform for their good works, not the reverse. That their abiding and resting with God actually fueled them for their dominion. That is why in the kingdom, when people are striving and laboring and hunting and searching, God says, abide. Abide in me and I'll abide in you and you, you might bear fruit. No, that's not what it says. You will bear fruit. That actually the biggest part that you could step into if you're trying to find your calling is learn to abide. Because here is a promise that I could never give to you. If you abide in Christ and he abides in you, you will bear fruit. And I haven't even not even gotten to my sermon today, so let's jump in. And I have just emptied myself of it. Let's do John chapter one, verse six. I think it's going to go up here on the screen, and you can see. I'll, I'm going to read this, and I'm going to go quick. I promise. I'm going to go quick, and I will tell you this: buy my book. There's good stuff in there. I need to make some extra money tonight. Okay. Uh, so here it is. This is John the Baptist. There was a man sent. Everybody say sent. Sent from God, whose name was John, he came as a witness, say witness, Witness. to testify concerning the light so that through him all might believe. So I want you to see in this that as Corey is trying to set us up for something, he wants us to see that even in John the Baptist owning his calling, his calling was connected to his sentness. I want you to look at two scriptures, and then I'm not going to preach this, although this is one of my favorite texts to preach. Look at Luke chapter seven verses one through 10. And when Jesus had finished saying all these things, the people were listening, and he entered Capernaum. There was a Centurion servant who, his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent. Everybody say sent. Sent Sent some elders of the Jews to him asking him to come and heal his servant. And when he came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him. This man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogues. So Jesus went with them and when he was not far from the house, when the centurion, everybody say that word. Pause there because that's important. Under authority. With soldiers under me. I tell one go and he goes. I tell one come and he comes. I say to the servant, do this and he does it. And when Jesus heard this, he was amazed. This verse out of all of them blows my mind. It is one of the only times, there's only one other time where it shows Jesus being amazed by something. Jesus heard this and he's like... Like, jaw drop. Amazed. Like, you know you've done something if you can amaze Jesus. You know what I'm saying? Like, I am not, I mean, it took him a minute to kind of get himself together. And he turned to the crowd and said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. Then the men who had, say the word, Scent. sent, returned to the house and found the servant well. Now, I want to give you just this story. There is a centurion who's not a part of Israel. He is a part of the Roman guard. He has a sick servant, and he tells his, the elders of the Jews, go to Jesus and tell him to come and heal. So they go to Jesus, and they speak on his behalf. They go, listen, hey, Jesus, he's a good dude. Come on, tap me up. I we got my ends. If we get in with the Romans, come on, man, heal this dude. So Jesus like, bet, let's do it. So he goes, and he's walking, and the centurion sees him coming, and he goes, nuh-uh, sends other servants, and they go out and go, listen, don't even come into the house. I'm not even worthy for you to enter into my house. But if you just say the word, my servant will be healed. And then he speaks, and he goes, listen, I understand what it means to be under authority. He doesn't say in authority. He says under authority. I understand what it means to be under authority. I can tell these guards to do this, and they'll do it. I can tell them to do this, and they'll go, and they'll do this. And people will listen to me who are under my authority. But he doesn't say I'm in authority. He says I'm under authority. Here's here's the mind-blowing part. Jesus drops jaw and goes, turns to the crowd and goes, listen, all you Israelites... None of you all understand faith like this Gentile swine over here. You all can't get it. This reality of this man understanding that when he told this army, whoever he told to do something, if they did not obey him, They weren't obeying the Roman government. He understood that he was submitted to the Roman government, so it put him in a position to speak to all these armies and all these servants, and they would have to obey because if they didn't obey him, they wouldn't be obeying the one who sent him. Kids get this. They get this. Like my little daughter... Before she could even talk, understood. Her older brother, like 10 years apart, I could say, go get your brother and tell him he's in trouble and and he needs to get in here and help me clean. She would run in and she's got sass. She'd run in, she could barely talk and she still kind of has like this kind of babyish voice and she She go, hey, hey, Kairos, you better get in there and dad's gonna spank you. I didn't even say I was gonna spank him, but she adds stuff, like we like to add stuff, you know. He's gonna spank you. He said, why would not Kairos Totally destroy this little girl because she ain't afraid, he ain't afraid of her, he's afraid of the one who sent, sent her. And the reality of our sentness is what made Jesus's draw, jaw drop. This man understands faith better than my church. We're all out there trying to do what we can, believe we can do and 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 manifest what we want and and make things take place and we're all out there trying to get our best life and prosper and God's people just understand say the word and I'll do it. Say it. Because I don't live by anything else. I only live by your word. Jesus' jaw drops and he says it. And they go back and he's healed. I'm gonna give you this last one. This is the same story and I promise I'm way over time. Corey did say it's like 35 minutes-ish and you can go, "We're, we're super flexible. And I'm like, fine, I'm flexible too, watch. When Jesus entered Capernaum, Look at this. This is the same story, just in a different gospel. Matthew chapter 8. And when Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion, what? No, no, no. It doesn't say sent. Look at it. Read the Bible. Read the Bible. I tricked you, bro. I totally got you, bro. He was on it. He's like, everybody said it every other time before. But this time, he's like, sent. No, it says, that, that literally says came. That's literally, that's literally, it say. He came. He came. There you go. And when Jesus entered Capernaum, the centurion came to him asking for help. And the Lord said, my servant lies at home, paralyzed, suffering terribly. And Jesus said to him, surely I will come and heal him. And the centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve for you to come in my rough, but say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority. The exact same speech, the exact same everything. Jesus is amazed. There's only one difference. What's the difference? Come on, y'all. This is not a trick. You better get this. He came. This time the centurion actually shows up. Oh, we found a contradiction in the Bible. In one, they're saying he sent servants twice. Elders of the Jews and servants. This one, the centurion actually shows up himself. I would beg to differ that it is an error. I think it's an illustration. That in God's eyes, when the centurion sent, it was actually like he came himself. That the one who is sent is the same as the one who sent him. The one who is sent is the same as the one who sent him. The child of God who is sent by God to be a witness is in God's eyes as if he came himself that's why when Jesus said hey when you see me you see the father cuz he understood his sentness my biggest desire and longing for people your age And people in this place where we're on the hunt would be I was freed from the hunt when I realized I was sent. John said it. That John the Baptist had confidence in his calling because he was sent. If you knew your sentness, you couldn't question your calling. Because you would say things like this. Because I have had such a struggle with faith for a long time, because it got really complicated. Everybody's like, hey, Aaron, just have more faith, just have more faith, just, you know, and I'm like, what are you you talking, what does it mean? You keep telling me to have faith, what does it mean? And this centurion actually told us what faith meant. he showed us this. Listen. Faith comes by what? Okay? Faith comes by hearing, it comes by listening. That the key to the discovery of your unique part as God's witness in the world is listening. To what? To God's voice. And you're like, man, that's a struggle for me because how do I know it's God? Corey's gonna answer all those questions coming up in the next few weeks. (laughs) But that does get to a better question. Many of us struggle with knowing what's God's voice. My sheep know my voice. God's such a communicator. He is so good at making his word clear to us. Listen. The second thing is obey. This is a really big key. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Faith without obedience or works is dead. Which means some of us have heard something from God and we're still debating with him on whether or not we should obey it. There's such beauty in obedience. Can I just free you all from something? Obedience to your father is not the same as legalism. So when God speaks something to you as his child and you obey that, that's not legalistic. That's obedience. That when God says something to you, and you obey it in small ways, you get to experience just doing what he tells you to do. And that is the reward. And last, is that when you trust and listen and obey, I think that's jaw-dropping faith. What What would it look like for 710 to be a group of young people who works harder at abiding than trying to hunt? What would it look like to be a community that when the rest of your peers feel lost and they're hunting, you're resting in the finished work of Christ? And when everything in you wants to go on the search, you stop and you listen for God's voice. Because he will make clear to you that he has a very unique and powerful purpose in sending you, 710, into the world to be his witnesses that others may see him. The struggle for many of us in our question for our calling is that we want people to see us. That's why faceless is so important. That if you want to find your calling, you become faceless. Because what you want people to see is the one who sent you. And you can do that by just falling at his feet and saying, Jesus come and heal this servant. Just say the word. You can do that by working for his glory in any sort of industry. You can do that without being the most known and the most famous. You can do that without a tons of likes and approvals. You can do that and find yourself in Christ. Father, we pray that this community would learn to receive, rather than reach. Here's what I'm gonna ask you to do as the band comes up, is this has been your posture too long, that you're trying to reach and jump and try to find something, and what I want you to do is just put your palms out in front of you in a posture to receive. And I want you to do something that is hard for us to do. Just breathe, take a deep breath in And release that breath. Do it again. Take a deep breath in. Breathe out. And in this posture, Father, I pray that you would make known that you see them. And you know them can just sense some of my sisters in this room feel so tired just feel the weight of their exhaustion you've spent too many sleepless nights my sister desperately wanting to be seen and discovered But if you could hear the voice of God through my voice today, I feel like I've been sent to tell you, I see you. I know you. And I am not distant from you while you're laying in that bed discouraged. I'm actually there holding you. Could you just rest in my arms? Let me speak over you what your doubts and fears could never find rest in. I see you, young man, out there every day trying to till the soil to find your meaning. Trying to grind and hustle because everyone is telling you that is the way forward. No matter how hard you believe and no matter how hard you try and everybody told you if you just work hard enough you'll be able to get there and if you just try hard enough and no matter how hard you try no matter how hard you work you still find yourself falling short and you feel forgotten could you just hear your father through my voice speaking over you. My son, you weren't made for work. (laughs) You were made to rest. And out of that rest will come good works. You don't have to work for your rest, you work from your rest. Brothers and sisters, before you are anything, you are children of a father who loves you. And my prayer at the beginning of this series that you would lose yourself so you will find yourself. So God, would you come by your spirit let your Holy Spirit rest on us. And that each one would leave this room with a sense of, I am sent. I am sent. That I am not chasing something, I am sent. And let our running Be with your wind, the wind of the Spirit at our backs, pushing us and propelling us forward. We pray these things.